and to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and our text will be found in the verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I suppose the key words there are, he went away sorrowful. Let's pray. O oh God, our Father, we come into your holy presence in the name of our Savior. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the, the power of your Word, and we think of this incident and this young man, and we pray that the lesson would be felt in our hearts and that there would be that response from souls that do not know you to get right with God that none may leave this house sorrowful. Father, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we're going to carry on the theme that I began talking about last week, the cost of discipleship. And here we're going to consider the sadness or the tragedy of the rich young ruler. Last time we thought about three people who had great ambitions for following Jesus. They had tremendous desires and appeared to make choices that seemed to be good, remarkable aspirations. But when the cost was set before them, they were unwilling to go through with it, and they held back. There was one that said, Lord, I'll follow you, I'll go. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lead, I will be with you, and I'll not leave you. Seemed to be very good until the Savior said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man's got nowhere to lay his head. If you're willing to follow me, it's going to be a tough path. And he said no. And someone else said, well, I'll follow you, Lord but I need to go home and bury my father. And it seemed most likely that the father was not yet dead. He just couldn't leave home until the father died, however long that would be. And so it was quite clear that in this case, it was somebody who was putting interests of family before Jesus Christ. And the Lord said, let the dead bury their dead. You follow me. But he didn't follow the Lord. And then there was the other individual. He said, Lord, I'll follow you, but I need to go back home to family and friends first. But the Lord wanted an immediate response. Here was somebody that was trying to negotiate with Jesus Christ, and that's not a thing that any of us can do. When the Lord speaks to us, when the Lord requires something of us, we don't negotiate with God. We simply submit to whatever God requires. We can't have Jesus Christ on our terms. We can only have Jesus Christ on his terms. Nothing less will suffice. These people would not accept what Jesus Christ was saying. And as I was thinking about the message last time, the case of the rich young ruler, as he is often called, came to mind. We know that he was a young man. We know that he was rich, in fact, 
Luke says that he was very rich. And it would seem that he was a ruler as well, and we pick up that from the gospel record. In fact, this story is told by three of the gospel writers. We have it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, not every incident in the life of Christ is told by the three writers, but three writers record this. There are very few incidents that are actually told by all four writers. And we get the story of Christ by piecing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together. But the story of the rich young ruler is found on three occasions. And that certainly highlights that it was a memorable interview that this young man had with Jesus Christ. The people that were around, they never forgot it. And there is every evidence that the young man himself never forgot this encounter with Christ. And this is what happens whenever the gospel is preached. You're having an encounter with God because the Word of God is here presented. God's truth is here presented. God speaks through His Word. And you're in this place where the gospel is preached and where Christ is presented. And God is speaking to you. And you need to be aware of that tonight. You know how you stand before God. You know whether you're saved or unsaved. You know whether you're bound for heaven or whether you're bound for hell. Where will you spend eternity? One second after you die, where are you going to be? If nothing changes, these are serious questions. Because whenever God is speaking to you, the sinner is standing at the very crossroads of eternity. And when you're at a crossroads, you have a choice to make. You have a direction to travel along. And you can go one way or you can go the other. You're at a place where decisions need to be made. And whenever you're here under the sound of God's Word, you're at the crossroads of eternity. In one direction is eternal heaven. In another direction is eternal hell. And here you have an opportunity an opportunity to go the right way, to go God's way, to choose Christ. This is your opportunity. But not everyone that has this opportunity accepts it. There are some who squander it. And here we have the very sad and solemn case of a young man who had plenty of money, who had great possessions, he was a ruler. He had a position of authority. He had got on well in this world. And yet when he encountered Jesus Christ, there was no happiness. We are told that he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so let us think about the tragedy of the rich young ruler this evening. Let's first of all consider his enthusiasm curbed. Mark's account is possibly the most vivid account of all. There's little details in Mark's account that we just don't get from the other writers. Little details that describe the scene and show us what happened. Mark's gospel is very like that. And whenever you look at 
verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, we discover that when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. He came running. There was an enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. He had heard about the Lord, and he had a question for the Lord, and he really wanted to hear the answer. He really wanted an opportunity to sit before the Lord and to interact with him. And he came running. And yet the contrast could not be greater. He came running, excited, anticipating what the Lord's going to say. But he went away sorrowful. He came with a sense of excitement, but he went away deflated. Probably the reason why he came with certain excitement was that he wanted the Lord to affirm him in the way that he was going. He thought he was good, he thought he was doing fine, and he had the questions, but he also had second-guessed what the answers were going to be. The answers were going to be what he wanted them to be, and when the answer wasn't what he thought it was going to be, then he went away sad. He didn't come with an open mind, you see. And so that initial enthusiasm was curbed. And whenever you hear the gospel, you need to come with an open mind. In life, if you ask anyone for advice, it really doesn't matter who the individual is or, or what the context is, but if you need advice, if you need advice from a solicitor, you go to the solicitor and you ask the question, what should I do? And that's the expert sitting across the table. That's the, the person that, that knows the law. That's the person that has the examples from history in the past. And so you need to listen. You need an open mind just to accept. If you go away and say, I know better than a solicitor, well, you're a fool. The same with an accountant. The same with a doctor. Same with anyone else you need advice from, you need help from. We need an open mind. It's a very poor thing to go looking advice or help from someone, and when that person doesn't respond in the way that you want them to respond, you go away in a sense of a huff, because your own ideas are not being affirmed. That's pride, isn't it? And people do that all the time with faith. They do it all the time with the Word of God. They do it all the time with Jesus Christ. The Bible says you must be born again. The Bible says that you're in a broad way that leadeth to a sinner's hell. And you need to turn from your sin and turn unto God and turn to Christ. You need to ask the Lord into your heart. If you don't do that, your soul will be lost. These things are very clear and uncompromising in the Word of God. And there's no point in turning around and saying, I don't like that. It's what God is saying and is the only way to have hope. This young man was enthusiastic for all the wrong reasons. His heart was entirely and completely in the wrong place, and God exposed his sin, and so he went away sorrowful. Let's also think about the question rebuffed. What was the question that, that he asked? He said, and we'll, we'll take it from Mark 10, the scriptures are open there in the verse 17, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It was a good question, wasn't it? 
the greatest of all questions. What can I do that I might have eternal life? But there are, of course, flaws in the question. So it was a good desire and a good ambition to have eternal life. He was going to the right person to get eternal life. But he said, what shall I do? So it's quite obvious he was blinded by the sense of doing, the sense of being good, the sense of trying to live a good, decent life. He had not got a sense of his own sin. It was all about what he could do. But nevertheless, the desire for eternal life is good. The fact that he came to Jesus, that was good, except for one thing. He totally misunderstood who Jesus was. We know that from the way in which the Lord answered. He said, good master. You might say that's good. He called the Lord the good master. An excellent way to approach Jesus. However, he was treating the Lord just like another rabbi. And that's why the Lord said to him in verse 18, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Why are you calling me good? You believe I am just another rabbi. And if I am just another rabbi, I am not good. But if I am the Son of God, then I am good. There is none good but one that is God. And this was the Lord's way of saying, I am the Son of God. Are you going to accept that? You need to call me good because I am the Son of God. But the Lord was exposing the wrong ideas he had in his heart and his soul about who Jesus actually was as he challenged and rebuffed the question. You see, our misconceptions need dealt with. And if you're not saved tonight, you need to face up to the fact that somewhere along the line, the wrong ideas have entered your heart or soul. The wrong philosophy has taken a hold of your spirit. And that needs to be challenged. Because if you continue in that mode of thinking, the eternity of your soul is at stake here. The risks could not be higher. The danger could not be greater. Why is it that you've turned away from Christ? Why is it that you have refused to trust Christ as your Savior? What's been going on in your thinking? It's not right. It's false thinking. Anything that keeps you out of heaven is false thinking. So the Lord had to expose this man's pride. As the Lord started to ask him questions, they noticed the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud, not honor thy father and thy mother. You, you know the commandments. You know how you can get to heaven. You know how you can get into favor with God. You're a Jew, you're a devout Jew. Think of these commandments. Then the young man answered and said, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. I have observed all of these things from I was a young, young man. I have kept them all. I haven't broken any of God's commandments. And suddenly, we begin to realize what is really wrong with this young man. It has been alluded to 
with the questions. But now we're starting to see it. He doesn't realize that he's a sinner. He's full of a sense of his own pride. That's what's wrong with him. He's proud in the extreme. And it is pride that keeps people from salvation. The number one sin that keeps people from coming to know Christ is pride. It's pride. Pride is man's arrogance refusing to say, I'm a sinner in the sight of God. Do you believe that you're a sinner in the sight of God? If you really believe that very thing, you would come running to Christ for salvation. Have mercy upon me. Of course, that's not what the young man did. He came to pose a question. He came for some kind of discussion. But he didn't come for mercy, for he never realized that he needed mercy. And this is the first step on the road to eternal life. Acknowledging your sinfulness. Acknowledging your wickedness. Realizing that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that includes each one of us. And so the Lord was exposing his pride, his belief that he had kept all these commandments. But the Lord went further. The Lord revealed his idolatry. The Lord revealed how it was that this young man had not been keeping the commandments. The Lord put his finger upon this young man's sin. Verse 21 of Mark 10, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, follow me. Here we're coming to the the cost of discipleship, the cost of coming to the Lord. It involves facing our sin, repenting of our sin, turning from our sin. And this young man's sin was his wealth. It is no sin to be wealthy. God has raised up very wealthy people who have done extraordinarily good things with the wealth that God has given to them. And we rejoice in that. It is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And it pierces one through with many sorrows. And the reason why this young man went away sorrowful, grieved, pained in his heart, was because he had made an idol of his wealth. And the only way by which that idol was going to be dealt with was by giving it away. The idol had to go. It had to go because his heart was in the wrong place where money was concerned. The Jews abhorred idolatry. At one time, they had fallen idols, and as a result of that, they went into Babylon for 70 years' exile. After that, the Jewish people never pursued idols. Not idols made of gold or silver. Not finely crafted idols that they placed in their temples or their synagogues. The Jews never followed that kind of idolatry. Still don't. But they still have idols. Idols that they rear up in their heart and in their soul. 
And this young man had an idol, and the idol was his wealth. And then we start to think about what this young man had done. The Lord said, one thing thou lackest. And the Bible says, if we break the law in one point, we're guilty of all. And so this young man thought he had kept all the commandments because he hadn't killed anyone. He had done his best to honor his parents, and, and he hadn't committed adultery, and he hadn't stole from anyone. And because he had such an excellent record in these ways, very commendable character, he said, I've kept all the commandments. And the Lord was saying, no, 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 you haven't kept the commandments at all because you failed in this one thing, and because you failed in this one thing, you've broken all the commandments. You're a sinner because of this idol in your heart. And the Lord was putting this religious Jew, and he was saying to this man, you're every bit as bad as the pagans and the Gentiles with all of their little gods and of stone and, and all of their superstitions. You're just as bad because you've made an idol out of your wealth. The Lord was revealing his sin, you see here. The first commandment says, thou shalt have no other God before me. And this young man had reared up another God. And while he hadn't made a graven image, he still had another God that occupied his thinking, that occupied his heart, that occupied his soul. He hadn't stolen, but he had coveted the wealth of others. He had coveted. And of course, the last commandment talks about coveting. He had coveted. And that's a commandment that relates to the heart, the soul, the mind. Because once we break God's law in our minds and our souls and, and our desires and thinking, we've broken that commandment. And whenever our lives are analyzed in this way, we realize how far we have come short of God's standard. This young man went away realizing, believing that he had kept the standard, that, that his standards had been high. His standards had been impeccable. Full of himself. In a way sad because he realized that he was just a poor, lost, wretched sinner. He stood before the, the judge on this day. He stood before the judge. Christ was the judge. The man who could judge every heart and every soul, the intent of every mind, every attitude, open and clear before him. He stood before the judge. The piercing eyes of the judge saw right through that outward veneer of religion. Saw him for what he was. Exposed him for what he was. That's how it is with us. That's how it is with you tonight. Whatever other people may see, God sees you as you are. What does God see? What does God see in that mind? What does God see in that heart? What does God see in your thinking? What does God see? And whatever it is that's keeping you back from Jesus Christ, you have to turn away from it. Turn back on it. Leave it behind you. Follow Jesus and give your life wholly to him. There's no other way. The Lord reveals the sin. Has God revealed your sin tonight? Has God put his finger upon that one thing in your life that's keeping you from salvation? It's a hard thing to experience, 
to experience conviction, but we're praying that you will have conviction tonight. The Lord's response to this young man was very decisive, wasn't it? Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. You want treasure in heaven? You've got to give up on your sin. You can't have your sin and be a disciple at the same time. Two things aren't compatible. You can't have your sin and have Jesus Christ at the same time. He was calling upon this young man to make a decision. Is God speaking to you tonight? The decision is for now. The judge is before you. God is speaking. Christ is speaking. What are you going to do? There's one final observation. I'm going to draw from this. His ignorance was embedded. He went away grieved. He went away sorrowful because he had these great possessions. And these great possessions were the idol of his heart. He went away sorrowful because his sin was exposed. He went away sorrowful because he realized he wasn't as good as he thought he was. He wasn't ignorant about his sin any longer. But there was one thing he was ignorant about. Remember how I said that Mark reveals these little details that we just don't get in other gospel records. Whenever you look at verse 21 of Mark chapter 10, as the Lord said to him, one thing thou lackest, the Lord said these words with a heart of love. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. This was perfect love. The love that only God could have. No one else could have loved this young man as the Lord loved him. Whenever the Lord told him to do what to this young man felt like a, a really difficult thing, the Lord told it with eyes of pity. One thing thou lackest. When he went away sorrowful, he was ignorant of that love. He couldn't grasp it. How Jesus Christ loved him. He made a decision on this day. It was a tragic decision. He put his wealth ahead of Christ. That was a tragic decision. But is there hope for his soul? I believe that there is. And while we do not know his name, we do not know what happened to him in the future because we do not know his name, that does not mean that he is not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. It is very possible that amongst the people of God at a future time, this young man is making up a company of the disciples. It's very possible. I would say very probable because Jesus loved them with a perfect love. And whoever Jesus loves with that kind of love, that soul is drawn by irresistible grace to Calvary. He went away grieved. That means he went away thinking. It was good that the words had pierced his heart and his spirit. It is a terrible thing when someone appears so dead and so dull spiritually that the word is preached and it is as if nothing has been said at all. Better to get this kind of reaction is no reaction. Apathy is the great enemy of the gospel. 
He went away. He wasn't apathetic. God had begun to work in his heart because Christ loved him. And Christ loves you tonight. He loves you more than you realize. He loves you with that same love that he had when his hands and feet were pierced. And when he was lifted up upon that cross to die, he loves you more than anyone else can love you. And whenever Jesus Christ lays his finger upon your sin, he does it with a hand that was pierced for you. What a Savior he is. This young man learned something on this day. He had it all, you know. In the eyes of the world, he had it all. In the eyes of people around him, he had it all. He had got on so well. He had youth on his side. He had years ahead. He had experienced success. He was a ruler among the Jews. He had some position of authority and status. He was religious and upright. He seemed to have good morals. He had so much going for him. He had plenty of money and all the rest. Plenty of respect. And yet he learned on this day that he had nothing. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have nothing. Forget about anything else that you have. Forget about any other aspirations you have. If Christ isn't part of them, you have nothing. You're just wasting your life. This young man was told he had to take up the cross. He had to turn from his sin. And he went away sad because he, he couldn't do it. That was tragic. He was trifling with his soul. Don't make that kind of tragic decision tonight. Come and embrace the Savior as your Savior. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your dealings with this young man. And we pray for souls without Christ tonight that you would deal with them in mercy and draw them to yourself. In the Savior's name, amen. Let us sing this.